Chapters thirty five and thirty six of Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty five The Garden Party. Jerry walked very rapidly toward home, almost running at times, and not at all conscious of the absence of her parasol or that the noonday sun was beating hot upon her head. She was too much excited to think of anything clearly except of what Tom had said to her of Maud and Harold how she hated him for it and hated herself for her jealousy of the poor little sick girl whose days she feared were numbered if harold is a comfort to her shall i begrudge her that comfort never no never she said aloud then as she remembered tom's offer which she believed had been made in good faith she continued poor tom i said some sharp things to him but he deserved them the prig let him marry that governor's daughter if he can i am sure i wish him success she had reached home by this time and found their simple dinner waiting for her oh grandma why did you do it why didn't you wait for me she said as she took her seat at the table where the dishes were all so plain and the cloth though white and clean so coarse and cheap jerry was as fond of luxury and elegance as any one and tracy park would have suited her taste better than the cottage but not with tom she kept repeating to herself as she cleared the table and washed the dishes and then brought in and folded the cloths for the morrow's ironing by this time she was very tired and going to her room she threw herself upon the lounge and slept soundly for two hours or more sleep is a wonderful tonic and jerry rose refreshed and quite herself again not even a thought of maud and harold disturbed her as she went whistling and singing around her room hanging up her dresses one by one and wondering which she would wear at the garden party deciding at last upon a white muslin which although two years old was still in fashion and very becoming she arranged her hair in a fluffy mass at the back of her head brushed her bangs into short soft curls upon her forehead pinned a cluster of roses on the bosom of her dress and was ready for the party tell harold if he is not too tired i want him very much to come for me she said to mrs crawford and then about five o'clock started for grassy spring where she found the guests assembled in the grounds which surrounded the house tom was there in his character of a fine city dandy and the moment he saw jerry he hastened to meet her greeting her with perfect self-possession as if nothing had happened you are late he said going up to her we are waiting for you to complete our eight-hand croquet and i claim you as my partner i c c call that mean t tom i was go going to ask t jerry to play with m me billy said while dick's face showed that he too would like the pleasure of playing with jerry who was known to be an expert and seldom missed a ball naturally however marion raymond as a stranger would fall to him and they were soon paired off dick and marion tom and jerry nina and billy fred raymond and ann eliza who wore diamonds enough for a full dress party and whose hair was piled on the top of her head so loosely that the ends of it stuck out here and there like the streamers on a boat on gala days this careless style of dressing her hair ann eliza affected thinking it gave individuality to her appearance and it certainly did attract general observation dick had stumbled and stammered dreadfully when confessing to his sister that he had invited the preterkins while nina had drawn a long breath of dismay as she thought of presenting ann eliza and billy to marion raymond with her culture and aristocratic ideas then she burst into a laugh and said with her usual sweetness never mind dicky you could not do otherwise i'll prepare marion and the preterkins will really enjoy it 
so marian who was a kind-hearted sensible girl was prepared and received the peterkins very graciously and seemed really pleased with billy whose big kind heart shone through his diminutive body and always won him friends he was very happy to be there because he liked society and because he knew jerry was coming and ann eliza was very glad because she felt it an honour to be invited to grassy spring and because tom was there and when croquet was proposed she was the first to respond oh yes that will be nice and i know our side will beat she said looking at tom as if it were a settled thing that she should play with him but tom was not in a mood to be gracious he had come to the entertainment which he mentally called a bore partly because he would not let jerry think he was taking her refusal to heart and partly because he must see her again even if she never could be his wife all the better nature of tom was concentrated in his love for jerry and had she married him he would probably have made her as happy as a wholly selfish man can make happy the woman he loves but she had declined his offer and wounded him deeper than she supposed a hundred times he had said to himself that afternoon that he did not care a sou that he was glad she had refused him for after all it was only an infatuation on his part that the girl of the carpet-bag was not the wife for a tracy but the twinge of pain in his heart belied his words and he knew that he loved jerry crawford better than he should ever again love any girl whether the daughter of the governor or of the president and i'll go to the party too just to show her that i don't care and for the sake of seeing her he said she can't help that and it is a pleasure to look at a woman so grandly developed and perfectly formed as she is by jove hal hastings is a lucky dog but i shall hate him for ever so tom went to grassy spring in a frame of mind not the most amiable and when croquet was proposed he sneered at it as something quite too passe citing lawn-tennis as the only decent outdoor amusement why then don't you set it up on your grounds where you have plenty of room and ask us all over there dick asked good-humouredly as he began to take out the mallets and balls to this tom did not reply but said instead count me out i don't like the game and there are enough without me just then jerry appeared at the gate and he added quickly still i don't want to seem ungracious and now jerry has come we can have an eight hand hastening towards her he met her as we have recorded and claimed her for his partner thank you tom jerry said with a bright smile on her face which made the young man's heart beat fast as he gave her her mallet and told her she was to play first tom was making himself master of ceremonies and dick let him and watched jerry admiringly as she made the two arches and the third and fourth and then sent her ball out of harm's way it was a long and closely contested game for all were skilful players except poor ann eliza who was always behind and required a great deal of attention from her partner especially when it came to croqueting a ball she did not know exactly what to do and kept her foot so long upon the ball that less amiable girls than nina and jerry would have said she did it on purpose to show how small and pretty it looked in her closely fitting french boot but jerry's side beat as it usually did she had become a rover the second round had rescued tom from many a difficulty and taken ann eliza through four or five wickets besides doing good service to her other friends i p p pros three ch cheers for jerry billy said standing on tiptoe and nearly splitting his throat with his own hurrah after the game was over they repaired to the piazza where the little tables were laid for tea and where jerry found herself vis-a-vis -vis with marian raymond of whom she had thought she might stand a little in awe she had heard so much of her 
but the mesmeric power which jerry possessed drew the kentucky girl to her at once and they were soon in a most animated conversation you do not seem like a stranger to me marian said and i should almost say i had seen you before you are so like a picture in germany yes jerry answered with a gasp and a feeling such as she always experienced when the spell was upon her and she saw things as in a dream was it in a gallery oh no it was in a house we rented in wiesbaden you know perhaps that i was there at school for a long time then when mamma came out and i was through school we stayed there for months it was so lovely and we rented a house which an englishman had bought and made over such a pretty house it was too with so many flowers and vines around it and the picture did it belong to the englishman jerry asked oh no marian replied it did not seem to belong to anybody mr carter that was the name of our landlord said it was there when he took the house which was then very small and low with only two or three rooms he bought it because of the situation which though very quiet and pleasant was so near the curzal that we could always hear the music without going to the garden yes jerry said again with her head on one side and her ear turned up as if she were listening to some forgotten strains yes and the picture was like me you say how like me every way like you marian replied except that the original must have been younger when it was taken sixteen perhaps and she was smaller than you and wore a peasant's dress and was knitting on a bench under a tree with the sunshine falling around her and at a little distance a gentleman stood watching her but what is the matter miss crawford are you sick marian asked suddenly as she saw the bright colour fade from jerry's face while tom and dick knocked their heads together in their efforts to get her a glass of water which they succeeded in spilling into her lap it is nothing jerry said recovering herself quickly i have been in the hot sun a good deal to-day and perhaps that affected me and made me faint it has passed now and she looked up as brightly as ever it's that confounded washing tom thought but jerry could have told him differently as marian had talked to her of the house in wiesbaden and the picture of the peasant girl knitting in the sunshine she had seen as by revelation the picture on the wall in its pretty florentine frame and knew that it resembled the face which came to her so often and was so real to her was it her old home marian was describing had she lived there once when the house consisted of only two or three rooms and was that a picture of her mother left there she knew not how or why these were the thoughts crowding each other so fast in her brain when the faintness and pallor crept over her and the objects about her began to seem unreal but the cold water revived her and she was soon herself again listening while marian talked of heat and sunstrokes with an evident forgetfulness of the peasant girl knitting in the sunshine but jerry soon recurred to the subject and asked abruptly was there a stove in that house a tall white stove in a corner of one of the old rooms say the kitchen and a high-backed settee marian looked at her a moment in surprise and then replied oh i know what you mean those unwieldy things in which they sometimes put the wood from the hall no there was nothing of that kind though there was an old study by the kitchen fireplace but not a tall stove was the picture in the kitchen jerry asked next no marian replied it was in a little low apartment which must once have been the best room and was there no theory with regard to it it seemed strange that any one should leave it there if he cared for it jerry said yes it does marian replied but all mr carter knew was that the people of whom he bought the house said the portrait was there when they took possession and that it had been left to apply on the back rent and also that the original was dead 
he mr carter had bought the picture with the house and offered to take it down but i would not let him it was such a sweet sunny happy face that it did me good to look at it and wonder who the young girl was and if her life were ever linked with that of the stranger watching her again the faintness came upon jerry for she could see so plainly the picture of the girl with the long stocking in her lap a very long stocking she felt sure it was but dared not ask lest they should think her question a strange one of the stranger in the background she had no recollection but her heart beat wildly as she thought was that mr arthur and was the young girl gretchen how fast the lines touching her past had widened about her since she first saw the likeness in the mirror and her confused memories began to take shape and assume a tangible form i will find that house and that picture and mr carter and the people who lived there before him she said to herself and then again addressing marian she asked what was the street and the number of that house marian told her the street but could not remember the number while tom said laughingly why jerry what makes you so much interested in an old german house do you expect to go there and live in it yes jerry replied in the same light tone i am going to wiesbaden some time and i mean to find that house and the picture which miss raymond says i am so much like then i shall know how i look to others you remember the couplet oh wad some power the gift to gie us to see ourselves as others see us look in the glass the best one you can find and you'll see yourself as others see you dick said gallantly before jerry could reply a servant appeared on the piazza saying there was someone on the telephone asking for mr peterkin it proved to be billy's father who was in the village and had received a telegram from springfield concerning a lawsuit which was pending between himself and a rival firm which claimed that he had infringed upon its patents before replying to the telegram he wished to confer with his son who was to come at once to the hotel and if necessary go to springfield that night but by jove billy said as he explained the matter it's too bad that i must g go when i'm enjoying m myself to tip-top i wish that lawsuit was in g guinea then turning to ann eliza he asked how she would get home if he did not return oh don't trouble about me i can take care of myself ann eliza said with a bounce up in her chair which set every loose hair of her frowsy head to flying m -m maybe they'll send the c carriage billy went on and if they don't maybe you can g go with t tom as far as his house and then you won't be afraid tom could have killed the little man for having thus made it impossible for him not to see his sister safely home he had fully intended to forestall dick and go with jerry if harold did not come for though she had refused him he wished to keep her as a friend hoping that in time she might be led to consider he liked to hear her voice to look into her face to be near her and the walk in the moonlight with her upon his arm had been something very pleasant to contemplate and now it was snatched from him by billy's ill-advised speech and old peterkin's red-haired daughter thrust upon him it was rather hard and tom's face was very gloomy and dark for the remainder of the evening while they sat upon the piazza and laughed and talked and said the little nothing so pleasant to the young and so meaningless to the old who have forgotten their youth jerry was the first to speak of going she had hoped that harold might possibly come for her but as the time passed on and he did not appear she arose to say good-night to nina while dick hastened forward and announced his intention to accompany her no dick no please don't she said i am not a bit afraid and i would rather you did not go 
but dick was persistent you know you accepted my service this morning he said and his face as he went down the steps with jerry on his arm wore a very different expression from that of poor tom who with ann eliza coming about to his elbow stalked moodily along the road scarcely hearing and not always replying to the commonplace remarks of his companion who had never been so happy in her life because never before had she been out alone in the evening with tom tracy as her escort chapter twenty six out in the storm for half an hour or more before the young people left the house a dark mass of clouds had been rolling up from the west and by the time they were out of the grounds and in the highway the moonlight was wholly obscured while frequent growls of thunder and flashes of lightning in the distance told of the fast-coming storm oh i am so afraid of thunder aren't you ann eliza cried in terror as she clung closer to tom who did not reply until there came a gleam of lightning which showed him the white face and the loose hair blowing out from under his companion's hat there was a little shriek of fear and a smothered cry oh tom aren't you a bit afraid and then tom answering the trembling little girl who clung so closely to him thunder and lightning no i'm not afraid of anything except getting wet and if you are you'd better run before the whole thing is upon us the sky is blacker than midnight now i never saw a storm come on so fast can you run yes some ann eliza gasped only my boots are so tight and new and the heels are so high do you think we shall be struck struck no but don't screech and hang on to me so we can never get along if you do tom growled and taking her by the wrist he dragged rather than led her through the woods where the great raindrops were beginning to fall so fast as the two showers one from the west and one from the south approached each other until at last they met overhead and then commenced a wild and fierce battle of the elements the southern storm and the western storm each trying to outdo the other and come off conqueror as the thunder and lightning and rain increased tom went on faster and faster forgetting that the slip of a girl who scarcely came to his shoulders could not take as long strides as a great hulking fellow like himself oh tom tom please not so fast i can't keep up my heart beats so and my boots hurt me so came in a faint sobbing protest more than once from the panting girl at his side but he only answered you must keep up or we shall be soaked through and through i never knew it to rain so fast take off your boots if they hurt you you've no business to wear such small ones he had heard from maud that ann eliza was very proud of her feet and always wore boots too small for them and he experienced a savage satisfaction in knowing that she was paying for her foolishness this was not very kind in tom but he was not a kind-hearted man and he held the whole peterkin tribe as he called them in such contempt that he would scarcely have cared if the tired little feet boots and all had dropped off provided it did not add to his discomfort they were out of the woods and park by this time and had struck into a field as a shorter route to le bateau but the way was rough and stony and tom had stumbled himself two or three times and almost fallen when a sharp loud cry came from ann eliza and he felt that she was sinking to the ground his first impulse was to drag her on but that would have been too brutal and stopping short he asked what was the matter oh i don't know i guess i've sprained my ankle it turned right over on a big stone and hurts me awfully i can't walk another step oh what shall we do i don't know tom answered gloomily we are in an awful muss 
here it is raining great guns and i am wet to my skin and you can't walk you say what in thunder shall we do ann eliza was sobbing piteously and when a glare of lightning lighted up the whole heavens tom caught a glimpse of her face which was distorted with pain and this decided him he had thought to leave her in the darkness and rain while he went for assistance either to the park-house or le bateau but the sight of her utter helplessness awoke in him a spark of pity and bending over her he said very gently for him annie this was the name by which he used to call her when they were children together and he thought ann eliza too long annie i shall have to carry you in my arms there is no other way it is not very far to your home come and stooping over the prostrate form he lifted her very carefully and holding her in a position the least painful for her began again to battle with the storm walking more carefully now and groping his way through the stony field lest he should fall and sprain his own ankle perhaps this is a jolly go he said to himself and then he thought of dick and jerry and wondered how they were getting through the storm and if she had sprained her ankle and dick was carrying her in his arms he will sweat some if he is for jerry is twice as heavy as peterkin's daughter and at the very idea tom laughed out loud thinking that he should greatly prefer having jerry in his arms to this little girl who neither spoke nor moved until he laughed and then there came in smothered tones from the region of his vest oh tom how can you laugh do you think it's such fun fun thunder anything but fun was his gruff reply as he went on more rapidly now for they were in the grounds of le bateau and the lights from the house were distinctly visible at no great distance away we are here at last thank the lord he said as he went up the steps and pulled sharply at the bell let me down i can stand on one foot ann eliza said and nothing loath tom put her down a most forlorn and dilapidated piece of humanity as she stood leaning against him with the light of the piazza lamp falling full upon her her little french boots which had partly done the mischief were spoiled and the heel of one of them had been nearly wrenched off when she stumbled over the stone her india muslin with its sash and ribbons and streamers was torn in places and bedraggled with mud she had lost her hat in the woods and the wind and the rain had held high carnival in her loosely arranged hair whose colour tom so detested and which streamed down her back in little wet tags giving her the look of a drowned rat after it has been tortured in a trap old peterkin was reading his evening paper when tom's loud summons sounded through the house making him jump from his chair as he exclaimed jiminy hoe-cakes who can that be in this storm he had seen billy off in the train and had returned home just as the rain began to fall naturally both he and his wife had felt some anxiety on ann eliza's account but had concluded that if the storm continued she would remain at grassy spring and if it cleared in time they would send the carriage for her so neither thought of her when the loud ring came startling them so much it was peterkin himself who went to the door gorgeous in a crimson satin dressing-gown which came to his feet but which no amount of pulling could make meet together over his ponderous stomach an oriental smoking-cap was on his head the big tassel hanging almost in his eyes and a half-burned cigar between his fingers good george of uxbridge he exclaimed as his eyes fell upon tom from whose soaked hat the water was dripping and upon ann eliza leaning against him her pale face quivering with pain and her eyes full of tears george of uxbridge what's up what ails the girl she has sprained her ankle and i had to bring her home she can't step tom said jerusalem hoe-cakes sprained her ankle can't step you bring her home heavens and earth 
here may jane come lively here's a nice howdy-do and liza's broke her leg and tom tracy's brung her home as peterkin talked he was carrying his daughter into the hall hitting her lame foot against the door and eliciting from her a cry of pain oh father oh it does hurt so put me somewhere quick and take off my boot she was dripping wet and little puddles of water trailed along the carpet as peterkin carried her into the sitting-room where he was about to lay her down upon the delicate satin couch when his wife's housewifely instincts were roused and she exclaimed no father not there when she's so wet and water spots that satin so dreadfully what in thunder shall i do with her hold her all night peterkin demanded while tom deliberately picked up the costly turkey hearth rug and throwing it across the couch said put her on that so peterkin deposited her upon the rug hitting her foot again and sending her off in a dead faint oh she's dead she's dead what shall we do mrs peterkin cried wringing her hands and walking about excitedly do peterkin yelled hold your yap and stop floppin round like a hen with her head cut off she ain't dead she's fainted bring some camphire or alcohol or hartshorn or pond's extract or something for her to smell yes yes but where are they mrs peterkin moaned flopping around as her husband had expressed it while tom rang the bell and summoned a servant to whom he gave directions bring some camphor or hartshorn he said miss peterkin has fainted and get off that boot as soon as possible don't you see how her foot is swelling this to peterkin who made a dive at the boot which resisted all his efforts even after it was unbuttoned the leather which was soaked through had shrunk so that it was impossible to remove the boot without cutting it away and this they commenced to do ann eliza had recovered her consciousness by this time and although the pain was terrible she bore it heroically as piece after piece of the boot was removed together with a silk stocking which left her poor little swollen foot exposed and bare by jove she's plucky tom thought as he watched the operation and saw the great drops of sweat on ann eliza's forehead and her efforts to quiet her mother pretending that it did not hurt so very much yes she's plucky and for the first time in his life tom was conscious of a feeling of something like respect for peterkin's red-haired daughter she has a small foot too the smallest i ever saw on a woman i do believe she wears twos he thought while something about the little white foot made him think of poor jack's dead feet laid under the grass years ago in this softened frame of mind he at last said good-night although pressed by peterkin to stay and dry himself or at least take a drink as a preventive against cold but tom declined both saying a hot bath would set him all right good-bye annie i'm awfully sorry for the sprain he said offering her his hand and as she took it in hers noticing about the wrist prints of his fingers which had grasped it so tightly and held it so firmly as he dragged her along over stumps and bogs and stones until she sank at his feet i guess i was a brute to raise her like that he said to himself as he went out into the darkness and started for home but i didn't want to go with her i wanted to be with jerry who i have no doubt went straight along without ever thinking of spraining her ankle as ann eliza did poor little foot how swollen though it was when they got that boot off but she bore it like a major pity she has such all-fired red hair and piles it up like a haystack on the top of her head with every hair looking six ways for sunday 
at this point in his soliloquy tom reached home and was soon luxuriating in a hot bath which removed all traces of the soaking he had received that night he dreamed of ann eliza and how light she was in his arms and how patient through it all and that the magnificent rooms at le bateau were all frescoed with diamonds and the floors inlaid with gold then the nature of his dream changed and it was jerry he was carrying bending under her weight until his back was broken but he did not mind it in the least and when he bent to kiss the face lying upon his bosom where ann eliza had lain he awoke suddenly to find that it was morning and that the sun was shining brightly into his room End of chapters thirty five and thirty six